Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Amen. Give it up for Dominic. Woo! Thank you, Pastor Taylor. All right. Oh, this feels so much more intimate. I like the new seating. This is this is great. I like this a lot. Awesome, guys. So I'm really excited. I, I was able to have the opportunity to speak from Pastor Taylor. We were kind of brainstorming, and I just had a really heart, a really big heart for this Thursday in the year. I always feel like the lead into Crux Camp is so important to just kind of set our hearts right, kind of the palate cleanser and kind of wetting our appetites for what's coming. Um, and so I hope you want to take the journey with me tonight. Uh, like Taylor said, we were, we're going to cover hosting the presence. Woo! That's right. That's exciting. This is kind of a floaty, hippy-dippy sort of phrase, right? What does hosting the presence mean, you know? Uh, we believe that God is three in one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we actually believe that His Holy Spirit can fall, and there's actually a presence of God uh, that can be just accessed um, spiritually. And we, we just really believe that. And today I want to talk about just kind of the importance of hosting the presence and being good stewards and just being faithful when the Lord like walks into the room. <laughs> and so I want to just touch on that tonight. Uh, but I want to start with a story, if that's okay. How many of you guys like stories? All right. Oh, everybody, this is so great. This is like living room time. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to share a story. And so if the person in the back can go ahead and cue up that first picture. That's okay. I will describe what that picture is supposed to show. So what this is, is a residential neighborhood. Unfortunately, what you cannot see, really really the point of this picture, actually. Can you kind of see? Okay, that's, that's better. Oh, there we go. That's some good contrast right there. Okay, so what you might be able to see there is a bunch of grass, right? Now, it looks pretty unremarkable, like some kind of residential neighborhood or park or something like that, right? If you want to go ahead and put up the second picture... If we can get that. Oh, that's even better contrast. Okay, so what you'll notice there is a crude picnic of sorts, right? So this might look super unremarkable, but for me, this is actually the location of my first date with my wife, Emily. So, aww. So for our first date, I invited her to a picnic dinner and some stargazing. Yeah, and this, this, this area is somewhere out in Fallbrook. Emily was actually, at the time, she was house-sitting for one of her bosses, and so she couldn't get away super far, but she accepted my invitation to the date, and so I'm like, okay, what can I do? And I was so um, excited. I was so excited. I actually, I hadn't, I'd been, I had been single at this point for about five years. Everyone say, five years. Five years. That's a long freaking time, right? Oh man, I was I was oh I was earth-shatteringly single. God, Lord have mercy. No, but it was such a good season and the Lord really knew what he was doing with that time. But suffice it to say, this was my first date in 5 years. And I was so excited. It was like blank slate. What do I do? All I know is that this beautiful girl said yes, and so I want to make a good plan. And so I was I was on a mission, you know, and I was trying to think of what I could do. That would be really special, would still honor her house-sitting gig that she had to do. She couldn't be super far away from the dogs and all these things. 
Um, and so I just started researching. Immediately when she said yes, I'm like, okay, what, what can I do to kind of make the most of the situation? I like Google Maps and Google Earth and full-on big brothered her entire region of where she was staying and be like, okay, what can I do? What's the weather patterns like this week? Is it cloudy at night? Like, what am I looking at? You know, is this feasible? Am I going to have to mix it up? And sure enough, it was supposed to be a clear night. Sure enough that the house was actually next to this really nice little park in the middle of nowhere. And I was just like, this is the spot. And so sure enough, after scouting it on, on Google Earth, of course, I, I showed up for the date like three hours early, maybe two hours early. I don't know. I was real early. I was so early. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know this. I don't know. I, I got there super early, right? And I, because I, I didn't see it in person. And so I, this is when I was still driving my, uh, my, my minivan. So I had room for all the storage, all this stuff. And I get out there. I parked a little while away. I like walked the block. I'm like, is there going to be any like shady stuff around here? Like, does this look like a safe area? And I was like, yeah, this looks really great. I'm like, okay, now where is it going to go? And I'm like, the exact grass placement where I'm like, okay, it's close to where we'd walk off. So there's not like wet, dewy grass you have to walk on forever. But it's remote enough that you can kind of enjoy this cool little thing. Anyway. I had all the details ready. I had a nice little like blanket. I had the picnic. I had things on ice. I had things at the right temperature they needed to be. And then I just left it like this and walked like a block to where that house she was sitting at and picked her up. And so I, I was all excited. I was so excited just to have the opportunity to take her on this date. You know, and I, and I think about what it was like when I knocked on the door. I think about what it was like when she opened the door, you know, and then I got to bring her into this place that I had spent so much time uh, researching and planning and looking up the weather and just getting just right, you know? Like, even the blankets I bought brought had, like, significance to me and were, like, special for certain reasons, you know? And I just got to plan ahead and do all of that. You know, and it was a good night. We, we lasted maybe, I don't know, how much stargazing do we actually do? Like 20 minutes before we froze? <laughs> yeah, so we got like maybe 20, 30 minutes of stargazing, and we got kind of cold, and so we went in and just chatted for a little bit. Um, but why I share that story um, is just because this is, for some reason, the first story I thought about when I thought about hosting the presence. This is the first thing that I thought of when I thought about, do we actually make room for the Lord in our life? Do we actually like pull out all the stops? Do we really prepare for him? Do we really put him in a position of honor? Do we care? You know, I think about what this date would have looked like if I just said, hey, meet me just over there somewhere. <laughs> you know, just there's a pile of dog crap or who knows? Like, you know, like, like I, I think about the level of detail or care or consideration I could have put into a night like this, you know, versus what I was able to. And I think about what are we doing with the Lord? What are we doing with the presence of God? Do we actually elevate him to this place of honor in our lives? Do we actually make room? Do we, do we prepare? Do we really steward what that means well? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so, Lord, I just thank you for the words that you're going to let me speak here. I pray that we can just be the most honoring people to your presence, God. I pray that you will show us a new and reverent way of looking at you and understanding what an incredible, unfathomable gift your presence is. And we just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys ready to jump into the meat of it? So the other thing I was thinking of, other than my first date, so uh, was was when they built the temple of God, right? I'm going to do a quick, quick flyby history, right? Old Testament, God creates the world, right? 
out of the world, God raises up a people that is his special possession. The, the Jewish people, he raises up starting with Abraham, and he says, these are my people. He makes a group out of no one so that the redemption of the world could be shown through that descending line, and they would never have been able to say, oh, we were just the best people. It's like, no, we're the best people because the Lord drew us out, established us so that we could see his full plan come to fruition there. In that place, we see the, <laughs> the, the Jewish people, they, they eventually ended up enslaved in Egypt, right? And then there's the whole stories where Moses, actually prompted by the Lord, delivers the people of Israel from Egypt and by taking them out of Egypt and taking them toward the promised land. There's all these things, these, these laws that they had. They, there was the building of the tabernacle, you know, this, this kind of tent that would always be moving, that would help kind of usher in the Lord's presence and what he was doing. And we bring it right up to the time of King David. And King David, he, he's, he's the second king over Israel, and he is the man after God's own heart. And he's this amazing warrior, this amazing conqueror, this amazing uh, poet and just lover of the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but his heart was the Lord's. And from his heart one day, he was just reflecting on what the Lord had done in his life. He was reflecting on the season he was in. And that's where we take this verse in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. This is talking of David. It says, After the king was settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Thank you. I love this verse. It's David just reflecting like, man, the Lord has blessed me so richly in this life. And yet, what do we have the Lord in? He's still in a tent somewhere. <laughs> He's still just in the tabernacle. He doesn't even have a place he doesn't have a place of honor that is anchored somewhere. He, it's always moving. It's not, it's not this one place for him to just remain on. And I think that in the heart of David, he looks on how the Lord has blessed him. He looks on what he's been given. He looks on the amazing ways he's blessed. And he said, what am I doing here when the Lord's in a tent? And so in him births this amazing dream that's just from his heart that says, God, I want you to have a holy temple. I want you to have the most luxurious, elaborate, amazing place for your presence to fall. I want you to have a home here. I want you to be able to just be here where your people are in your city. I want you to have a place of honor more than just the tent. I want it to be more. He wants to build this, and ultimately what comes from the Lord is, hey, I love your heart, David. I'm going to bless you so much. But because you've shed blood, because you're a man of war, I'm not actually going to let you build the temple. I'm going to let your son do it. <laughs> so it's actually his son Solomon that actually fulfills the dream of David, this, this dream that started in David's heart of, I just want the Lord to have a place of honor that's more than where he is right now. Because I've been so richly blessed, because he's the Lord. Lord, I want you to have more than <laughs> One of the last things David did that we have recorded is he shared his plans about this temple building with his son Solomon. I imagine him being the kind of like uh, micromanagey dad in this moment of like, hey, the Lord told me that you're going to build this son. But here is every plan I have. Here is every, everything from my heart about this. Here are all these details I have. Here's all the funding. Here's, here is everything, son. Yeah, you're going to do it. The Lord says for you to do it. You're going to do it. But here is, here's how I've prepared. Here, here is this. Run with it. 
And so Solomon, one of the early things he does is he, is, he builds the temple. He builds the temple for the Lord. And I just want to share, I heard a sermon about this once, and I was struck by it, and I just kind of want to take a little bit of it out of 1 Kings 7, uh, verses 15. I have it through 22, but I might just read a little bit here. It's talking about the building of the temple. It said, he cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high, 12 cubits in circumference. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars, each capital was five cubits high. A network of interwoven chains adorned the capitals on top of the pillars, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capital on top of the pillars in the portico were in the shape of lilies four cubits high. Anyway, it goes on and on like this. This level of specificity, this level of detail you know, immediately before this passage, it talks about how they kind of imported the like best masons and sculptors and, 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 and metal workers to craft these amazingly beautiful, intricate architectural marvels <laughs> to build this temple. And, and a lot of those were in kind of archaic measurements. So just so you know, those pillars were roughly 27 feet tall, 18 feet in circumference. And the toppers, those capitals on top, were another seven and a half feet. And these pomegranates that were in rows of two that encircled, there were hundreds, there were hundreds of these things right up top. And why I love this little snapshot is because this is just one aspect of this temple's design. This is just one little aspect. And we have these paragraphs of these ornate and elaborate details, and it's kind of like, why? Why does this need to be in the Word of God? Why does it need to be this extent, this elaborate? And I heard someone speak on this once about the pomegranates, and they said, you know what's incredible to me about these pomegranates? The amount of just, like, artisan, the, the nature of what they're doing to make these things out of bronze or, or however they cast them, all these ornate details on top of these gigantic monolithic pillars in front of this temple. And there are hundreds of them. And they were painstakingly made to such like perfect detail, design, like spare no expense, the best of the best of the best. And yet you put those pomegranates way on top. And what's crazy is this is like one of the highest points of the highest part of the highest temple. And the thing about it is, if you put the pomegranates way on top of this giant structure that's higher than everything else, who is even going to see it? Who is going to see the detail of the hundreds of these perfectly sculpted things? This such intricate detail, intricate plan, hard work, design, hunt, like just so high up in the air. Who sees it? I know God does. And maybe that was the point. I don't know, but I think it's incredible that even in the building of the temple, not even, not even getting into what is inside and the Holy of Holies and how, the, how they just established this temple, but even outside, even in the pillars, 30, 40 feet in the air where no one can see, there was such care given because, Lord, this is your temple. Lord, I know you can see this. Lord, I know your presence is going to dwell in this place. This matters. After they built it in 1 Kings 8, 
It says, when all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priest took the ark. This is the Ark of the Covenant, for those that have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, the thing that melts Nazi faces. That was actually based on something out of the Bible, right? <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, where the Lord's presence were, when they had uh, some stone tablets and I think manna or something, they, they put these things inside. And this thing was so incredible that literally if someone touched it, they would just drop like dead, <laughs> Because this thing was so holy, because this thing carried so much of the presence of God, and there was a real fear of the Lord and power, even on the, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> That's how much the Lord values covenant. That's how powerful the Lord's presence is. So they said to actually bring the Ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up, and King Solomon, that's King David's son, and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the Ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not even be recorded or counted. This is Old Covenant where animal sacrifices was necessary for the atonement of sin. But how incredible is it that as they're dedicating the temple, as they're, they're finishing this up, as they're bringing these holy objects inside the Lord's temple, it said so many sheep and cattle were sacrificed in honor to God and to help consecrate themselves and to, to just honor what was happening that they lost count. This is the same book that really itemizes things to sometimes the tens of thousands of things. I think it's funny that we don't even get a number there. It's not like they sacrificed 10,000. It's like so much was sacrificed for the dedication of this temple when this was going down that we lost count. What is the way I know you really love the Lord? <laughs> when you lose count of how many times you sacrifice and love and just pour it all out, when you worship, where you give him everything, where you show him a position of honor, and you stop even paying attention to the amount in which you do that. <laughs> it's not like, Lord, hey, you're worth two hours on a Sunday and about an hour and a half on a Thursday night. <laughs> It's, Lord, I'm living my life right now, and I've lost count of the ways that you're just worth it all. I'll pour out everything. The people lost count of the sacrifices they laid before the Lord because they were dedicating this to the Lord. This was the Lord's house. This was, this was where he was coming. I just don't want to lose sight thousands of years later. I, I don't want to lose sight of what his presence still means. These people spent who knows how much money to hire the best of the best to work tirelessly to create these beautiful works of art that maybe no one would see but the Lord because the Lord would see it. These people sacrificed so much they lost count of how much they sacrificed just to say you are worthy. These were kings. Kings of these mighty kingdoms that say this is all for you. <laughs> You're the point. <laughs> It's the head of the state, head of the nation, head of the military, head of your, your whole figurehead saying, it is all for you. <laughs> Make no mistake, it is all for you. My first point tonight is, when we talk about hosting the presence, is just that God's presence should command our honor and our reverence. You know, I see those t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, and I've heard a lot of arguments on both sides of that. <laughs> And I think ultimately if the heart is, you know, Jesus is like a brother, we know him that intimately, then yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but I don't want to also get so lost in the Jesus is my homeboy of it all that we forget that this is still the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the God of all creation. This was, this was the one who is I am. 
before anything else. And I think that this was not lost on a king. This was not lost on kings. This was not lost on the priests and the people that lost count of the amount of sacrifices just to honor, hey, your presence is about to show up here. We want to give you the best homecoming you can have. How much more so should it be with us? The next verse I have is out of Exodus 3, verse 15. This is when Moses is leading the people of Israel toward the promised land. The Lord is kind of frustrated at his people. The Lord calls them a stiff-necked people. <laughs> he says, hey, Moses, go out and go, go over there. <laughs> and Moses goes to the Lord and he said, but, but who's going to go with us? You're our, you say we're your prized possession. The world needs to know that. Who's going to go with us? He's appealing to God's nature and how he knows, how special the Lord knows his, his relationship is with his people. And in verse 315, it says, Then Moses said to him, talking about the Lord, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. He's leading a whole people group, and it's crazy because this comes out of a place where the Lord's like, Hey, go, go over there. I'm sending you to go right there. But Moses understands how important that intimacy with the Lord is. He understands how important that connection is. He understands how important it is that the Lord is with him and that he's out in front and that he is there. And he says, God, if you're not with us, don't make me leave. I think another way to say this is I want to be where you are. This is how much he cares about the presence <laughs> Moses is a steward over thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the Lord's pride possession. But it's in the heart of that leader that says, I know you want me to go over here, but Lord, if you're not with me, don't make us move. Without you, what's the point of us even going? <laughs> you know, again, I, I think, who is it? Someone, someone talks to that, that phrase of, I think we're... We're over-familiar with a God we barely know. Have you heard that? I just think that that's such a heart-stopping, <laughs> good phrase. A little tidbit of wisdom there. Are we over-familiar with a God we hardly know? And it's weird because I think we can sometimes know him so intimately, like in our personal relationship. We can know him so well on paper, you know, up here. But sometimes there's this level of God that he is eternal. He's everlasting. He's infinity in every direction. There's a level of him that is so multifaceted, it's unfathomable here, right? He's bigger than our brains could even handle. <laughs> I think if you linked every human's brain together somehow, we still could not compute <laughs> the fullness of who he is. And while he can be intimately known and revealed through his word, through the person of Christ Jesus and his spirit, I think that there's a level of do we really still remember just how big our God is and who it is we're praying to? This comes out of Ecclesiastes, a book written by Solomon in the Old Testament, a kind of musings and reflections at the end, toward the end of his life where he's kind of sifting through, hey, what is meaningless and what matters? This comes out of Ecclesiastes 5. It's just his word of advice. He says, hey, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice 
Offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. I understand that this is Old Covenant. I understand that this is before the exact kind of relationship that Jesus established by dying on the cross and coming back and offering us the free gift of his Holy Spirit. I understand all of that. I understand that New Covenant, we actually can cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, Daddy, the most intimate, like, hey, no walls. Hey, I can call you the most intimate of names. That's how intimate we are. I fully believe that. I fully believe that when we accept Christ, we are sons and daughters. That gives us open door access. That gives us front row seat. That gives us entitlement to who he is. We boast in the cross and him crucified, right? However, I think in our American culture, 2019, in the the, the selfie generation, I, I think that there's something still wise about Ecclesiastes 5. I know it strikes right through my heart. God is up in heaven and here you are on earth, so let your words be few. Where is my fear of the Lord? Not a fear that comes from abuse, some kind of moral failing, or some kind of terrorism, (laughs) but from a he is so holy and powerful that it commands everything in me to kneel. (laughs) Where is the conviction that I sometimes need to know my place? (laughs) Because a son is entitled to an inheritance, but a son that's under a father is also expected to be obedient. And I think that sometimes we can almost lean too hard on, I can cry out, daddy, daddy, and whine all day long. (laughs) And I'll be the first one to admit I do this a lot. But I think sometimes I need to remember, Lord, when is the time that I need to let my words be few? When is the time I need to make those sacrifices in my life? (laughs) I'm not going to be out here killing goats. (laughs) But where is it where I'm like, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice time I would spend elsewhere. Time I would spend on Netflix or my busy life or all these other things. I lay that down and say, no, this is for you. I want to honor your presence here with me right now. When was the last time for our quiet time with the Lord, we actually turned our phone off or just put our phone in a different room. It sounds like such a small sacrifice and yet in our demographic today, in our culture today, I wonder if sometimes the biggest sacrifice the Lord wants to see is, can you show me you're more important than everything else you've connected yourself to? Am I worth disconnecting from all of this just for an hour, just for two hours, just for as long as I want, just for you to stay with me and let your words be few? Because there was a time when a king said, I will lose track of all I sacrificed just because I know you're about to come. I don't want to forget. And yet point number two is, as believers, we are the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple? This is talking about sons and daughters of God. This is talking about believers. It says, and the God's spirit dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
the same spirit that transformed the world, that broke calendars, that, that all these people sacrificed everything for just for them to show up in this one place is now in us as sons and daughters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here for a second. I don't want us to forget that this is about the Lord and hosting his presence. But let me tell you something. If the temple of God, when I talk about the physical place in the Old Testament, was given such care that all expenses, blank check, I want this to be as beautiful, I want to spare no expense because his presence is about to land here. I will lose track of all the sacrifices because I think that something's about to happen in this temple. I want the Lord to have more than a tent. And in the new covenant, he says, my presence, the temple is now you. I wonder if that day when they dedicated the temple, I wonder what would happen if right in the front of the king, someone just spat at that temple and said, this is garbage. This is ugly. This isn't worth it. This is gross. This thing is a failure of what it was designed to be. This thing's not worth it. What happened if they desecrated the temple? What happened if they did terrible things to the temple? What if they started tearing down their own temple that they spent so much time on? And what do we do as believers? If we're the temple. What are we saying about the Lord's temple? The Lord's temple. <laughs> every time we look in the mirror, every time we have those backbiting thoughts against ourselves, every time we let the world get a little too deep under our skin to try to redefine what that temple actually is, I think we should have the same reverence <laughs> for what the, he says the temple is today. And my last point, number three, is do not grieve the spirit. Be a really good host. <laughs> and so my last passage today is out of Ephesians 4, verse 30 through 32. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God forgave you. What's crazy is, as sons and daughters of God, as believers, since we are the temple of God, since the Holy Spirit is actually in us, the Holy Spirit is sealed. It's, he's bound with us now. But what does that mean about every situation we now take him into? What breaks his heart? Is it some sketchy movie we saw? Is it a mouse click somewhere we shouldn't be? Is it in gossiping or lying or the way we treat the people around us or even the body of believers? I don't want to grieve him. I just want us to capture what these guys understood in the Old Testament. Just a little bit. Oh, I, I wonder how much they would have dreamed to live with what we have now. 
How many prophets ached for the prophecy they saw before their eyes about what the new covenant would be when the Redeemer came and made his home in us? It wasn't just a place anymore. It was in us. If we could only have the amount of reverence, even a little bit, of how they treated that place set apart, holy, worthy of honor. If we could treat our bodies and ourselves and our mentality towards ourselves like that, and we could actually steward and honor the fact that the Lord was with us. I just want to land on this. It can be heady. It can be all these big things. And I think back just to the story I started with, with the picnic. When I talk about hosting the presence today, I'm talking about just being a good host. When people come to your house, when you know someone's coming, southern hospitality, right? If the Lord was going to walk into your room today, would it change how you acted? Would it change how you talk about yourself, how you would prep? Would it change your posture? Would it change the posture of your heart? And I think as believers, we just need to remember that he is always in the room with us. We are the temple. How are we hosting that? So right now, I would love to pray for you guys. And then we actually have a couple minutes. I've actually, I've actually written out a couple questions. I think it'd be great if we can get into some groups to just kind of unpack, well, what does this mean for us? What do you think it means? How have we done here? I want to encourage you guys in these groups that we're going to make in a second, it's a safe place. None of us are perfect. I'll be the first one to say, I'm not always the best steward of this. But I want to be a better host. <laughs> I would love in heaven for someday, one of these guys from the Old Testament that understood this to be like, wow, way to host the presence. How cool to be in the future, somewhere in heaven, one of the builders of the temples looks at you and says, you also knew how to steward this presence. You really took care of that temple too, didn't you? So right before we do that, I'm just going to pray for you. God, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you that it's your good will that you do not want to be separated from your people. That God, actually, you gave it all so you wouldn't have to be separated. God, help you. <laughs> I ask that you would, you would help us to remember that you are the guest of honor always, everywhere we go. Help us to be better men. Help us to be better women. Help us to catch a little bit of the heart that said, you are worth everything. <laughs> to the point where I will lose count of how much I lay down just at your feet. God, I bless each one of them. I, I pray that you're in this community time and I just thank you and I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.